All right. Grace and peace be with you from the Lord Jesus Christ. It's wonderful to be with you this Lord's Day. As you can tell, we're still a little bit frozen in our hearts and minds as we are struggling to get things together today, uh, myself in particular. It's wonderful to be with you after such a difficult year that we spent this past week trying to suffer through some hardship. Um, I made a joke at the end of January that January was the longest month of the year so far, and uh, that fell flat for some folks who didn't seem to understand what I was getting at. Uh, I will say that last week was the longest week of the year so far, and I think we all understand what that's about. Well, it's that time of year again when football season is over and baseball season is just getting into the swing of things and some of you just realize that basketball is still up for grabs and if you're really desperate for sports and competition you might discover that there is this fascinating sport that goes by the name of the world's strongest man competition I don't know if any of you are aware of that or if you've seen it, but I would encourage you not to take away from your prayers and devotionals, but if you have extra time on your hands, I think you would enjoy checking out some of these events. According to the official website, the World's Strongest Man competition is about more than just force. It is about stamina, skill, tactics, training, and strategy. Every event below is designed to push the strong men to their absolute limits, challenging not only their physical strength, but their agility and mental toughness, too. Events include Atlas Stone Lifts, Keg Toss, Fridge Carry, Giant Dumbbell Press, and my favorite, the Loading Race. The Loading Race is an event that consists of a man who needs to carry five objects a distance of about 50 feet and load them onto a truck or a platform. The five objects each weigh between 220 and 360 pounds. And the objects include things like anchors and chains, anvils, lobster pots, blocks of ice, wine casks, and beer kegs. Before the snowpocalypse hit, I watched the highlights of last year's competition, and I was fascinated. Now, I don't care how strong and tough any of you think you are, unless you have a name like Juco or Magnus or Jean-Paul or Marius, you know that you are weak. If it makes you feel any better, though, I noticed that all of these men, every single one of these image bearers, had a massive dad bod. So, some of you are well on your way to becoming the world's strongest man. I learned this past week that as of November 20th, the world's strongest man is a 24-year-old Ukrainian man named Oleski Novikov. Now, you might be wondering, what in the world does that have to do with our series, No One Can? Well, not much, but just enough to hook us into the series. <laughs> as, today, <laughs> as today, we're exploring a parable where Jesus talks about the strong man. 
And so today we're going to explore this parable and see that there is more than one strong man in the world and more than one way to measure strength or to find out who the strongest man in the world actually is. Now, I remind you that in this series so far, we've already heard Jesus talk about our total inability. We've heard, we've heard it again and again. No one can. No one can. No one can see. No one can enter. No one can take. No one can draw. No one can pluck. No one can. We, we keep harping on this point about our inability apart from Christ. But also with the no one, no one can statements, we've also tried to emphasize the truth of God's total ability to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. God can open our eyes. God can draw us to Christ. God can keep us safe. God can provide what we need for our, our life and well-being. And so today, as we enter back into this series, we want to explore this statement that Jesus makes in the passage you just heard. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. So questions abound. Who is this strong man? And why would anyone want to enter his house in the first place, much less plunder it? And how could the man even be bound if you got in, considering that he is so strong? Well, to answer these questions, I want us to take a journey back through the story of God's mission in the world. And I want to take a few pieces of the Old Testament and put them together for you and show you how God has been hinting at and forecasting the coming of the true and better strongman from the very beginning. So go with me, if you will, in your minds and in your hearts to the beginning of creation. It's there that we see that there is more than one strong man in the world. The strong man, as we're going to discover, comes in many shapes and sizes. The very first strong man to ever enter the world was, in fact, a fallen angel who came into the Garden of Eden where God had placed his image bearers, Adam and Eve, and that strong man slipped in and he actually bound Adam and Eve and plundered their goods. And as a result of that, they and all of their descendants, including you and including me, were sent into exile and taken captive into this strong man's house. And then the story begins to unfold and build steam. As the story unfolds, we see other strong men rise up and threaten God's people, just as the serpent did in the garden. For example... A strong man named Pharaoh came and enslaved, enslaved our forefathers in Egypt and mistreated them for many, many years. Another strong man named the Philistines wreaked havoc on Israel after they came into their own land. Another strong man named Goliath came and threatened the armies of Israel and mocked their God in the valley of Elah. Another strong man came named King Nebuchadnezzar and he dragged God's people out of their land and took them into captivity. In all of these stories, what we see is the same thing we saw in the very first story, is that a strong man came and he oppressed and opposed God's people. By the time we get to Mark chapter 3 and Jesus telling this parable, we realize Jesus didn't just pull this parable out of thin air. This is not a figment of his imagination. Jesus is telling a truth that corresponds to reality. 
No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Now, you might be asking, well, what in the world is a parable? I was taught this way. A parable is a truth standing on its head. That doesn't really help, but it's kind of a cool way to think of a parable. A parable is a truth that it's a story that makes you think of things in a slightly different way. And so what Jesus is wanting us to do is think about the world in a different way, to think of the world as a place that has been taken captive by a strong man, and he's bound people in his house and does not let them go. The whole world, the apostle John says, is under the power of the evil one. So who is this strong man? Well, the strong man is none other than the serpent, also known as the devil, who comes to steal and kill and destroy. From the beginning of the world, he was the God of the age. He was the world's strongest man for generation after generation. No one was able to enter his house, at least as a conqueror, a victor, or a savior. No one was able to enter his house, much less bind him up and plunder his goods. The whole world lies under the power of the evil one. Now, the reason Jesus brings this parable up in the first place is because his critics were accusing him of something terribly false and wrong. His critics were accusing him of casting out demons in the power of Beelzebub. Beelzebub is a fancy way to say Lord of the Flies. Some of you remember not reading that novel when you were in high school, even though it was assigned to you, the Lord of the Flies. In the Gospel of Mark, in the first three chapters of this gospel, leading up to the story we're in right now, we see Jesus waging war spiritual warfare on unclean spirits and demons. I mean, this comes up again and again. It comes up when he's in synagogues. It comes up in the streets and villages in the region. So everywhere Jesus goes, all of these unclean spirits and demons are coming out to get him, to fight against him, and he is overcoming them. The religious critics seem to have no idea who Jesus was. But the demons knew exactly who he was. I don't often quote Baptists, but when I do, it's Charles Spurgeon who said, atheism is a strange thing. Even the devil never fell into that vice, for the demons also tremble and believe. And we see this in Mark 1, 2, and 3 as Jesus confronts demons and unclean spirits and they shriek and tremble in fear in his presence. But notice they were not shy about announcing the truth that Jesus was the Holy One and the Son of God. They knew exactly who he was. Now, we might be asking, why all of a sudden when Jesus comes into the world do we see this outbreak of demons and unclean spirits? It is true that when Jesus came into the world, all hell broke loose, not because Jesus brought it, but because the strong man who controlled the whole world felt fear. And what does he do? He sends everything. He fires everything he has at the Son of God. Jesus comes and has to fight off many demons and unclean spirits because he is on a mission to rescue the world from the evil one. 
It's because he came into the world to face off with this strong man. And as he drew closer and closer to the strong man's house, the strong man sends out minion after minion after minion to fight against Jesus, to bring Jesus down the way he's brought down every other person who has ever walked on the earth. And so as Jesus advances on the strong man's domicile, on his domain, the strong man grows more and more fearful and begins to fire everything he has at Jesus. Earlier in the Gospel of Mark, we see Jesus go out in the wilderness to be tested, and he's out there for 40 days and 40 nights. What is he doing? He's fighting against the devil. He's fighting against temptation. He's fighting for the life of the world. And he defeats that strong man in the wilderness when he was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. And as he, in, as he in, enters into his own mission and ministry, we find him defeating minion after minion in synagogues and villages and in the regions around that place. The religious critics cannot believe their eyes and ears. They can't believe their eyes and ears. No matter what they see and hear Jesus doing, no matter what they hear the demons shriek as they confess that Jesus is the Son of God, they can't bear this. And so they accuse Jesus of doing what he's doing in the power of the devil. Now this story should shock us far more than it does. I think the reason it doesn't shock us very much is because we don't understand the gravity of this accusation. That what these people are doing is they are blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. That simply means they are speaking evil about the Holy Spirit and saying things about the Holy Spirit that are not right and good and true. They are, in fact, calling good evil and evil good. They are confusing the person and work of the Holy Spirit with the devil. And to confuse, the, they're counting the Spirit's gracious work as the serpent's malicious work. It is a grave sin that Jesus says is unforgivable. And that's why I said it should shock us more than it does. The Lord and giver of life should never be mistaken for the Lord of the flies. Those who do such things, according to Jesus, never have forgiveness. They are guilty of an eternal sin. Now, I want you to let that soak in for just a moment. They never have forgiveness. They are guilty of an eternal sin. A few moments ago, we confessed our sins and our need of God's grace by appealing to the strong man at God's right hand. And in response to our confession of sins and our acknowledgement of needing God's grace, what did we hear? We heard the assurance of God's pardon. We heard comfort, comfort, oh my people, my grace is sufficient for you. And as well received as that was by those of us who believe the gospel of Jesus, think of what Jesus is saying here. People who chalk up the work of the Holy Spirit to the work of the devil will never, ever be forgiven. They will bear the guilt of their sin forever. So what these people are doing is serious indeed. It is grave to say the least. Now Jesus' defense, his counter 
argument against these people is simply this. That don't make no sense. You're saying that I'm doing what I'm doing by the power of the devil. That doesn't make any sense. You've all heard expressions like united we stand and divided we fall and divide and conquer. Well, guess what? So has the devil. He knows those things as well as you do. And Jesus' point is that not even the devil would send his minions out against his minions. Not even the devil, not even the prince of darkness would divide his house against itself. Why? Because not even his house or his kingdom or his identity would be able to stand under such division and internal conflict and strife. Jesus waged war on the devil and cast out demons and unclean spirits by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now the question remains, why would anyone feel the need to enter a strong man's house and plunder it in the first place? As we heard earlier, from the beginning of creation till now, a strong man named the devil has been wreaking havoc on the world, taking people down, making them captives of sin, threatening them with death and destruction. You feel it in your life as well as I do. You know by experience what this looks like as you wrestle with your own sins and your own demons, as you struggle with your own addictions and habits that seem to never let you go. You understand some of what Jesus is describing here. But I want to remind you that from the beginning, God promised to send a Savior to crush the serpent's head. In other words, God promised to send a stronger man to catch the strong man and plunder his goods. So let's go back to a couple of those stories we mentioned earlier or that we heard earlier from the Old Testament. I want to tie a couple of things together for you here. Pharaoh enslaved our forefathers and mistreated them in Egypt. But what was God's response? The Lord raised up a strong man named Moses to bring Egyptians, God, Egypt's gods down, to plunder Pharaoh's house, to set God's people free to worship him in spirit and in truth. The Philistines wreaked havoc on Israel in their own backyard, but the Lord raised up a strong man named Samson to crush his enemies and to deliver Israel from evil. Goliath threatened God's people and mocked their God in the valley of Elah, but the Lord sent a strong man named David to strike down the giant with sticks and to cut off his head with a sword and to lead God's people to victory. King Nebuchadnezzar dragged God's people off into captivity, but the Lord raised up a strong man named Daniel to endure trials, to shut the mouths of lions, to bring the king to his knees in repentance. What do we see here? We see that in all these stories, the strong men who acted like the serpent were eventually overcome by stronger men who acted in the power of the Holy Spirit. Those stories were but a foretaste of things to come. They were the shadows of the reality, which is Jesus Christ. The reason the strong man's house needed to be entered and the reason the strong man's house needed to be plundered is because the devil had come to steal and kill and destroy. And he had taken things that did not belong to him. He had taken people that actually belonged to God. 
And so Jesus came to fulfill God's promise. He came to take it all back. Jesus came to take the devil captive and to set the captives free. So like a man in black going around and taking names, Jesus comes and he fights his way into the strong man's house. And there he ties him up and he plunders his goods. How was Jesus able to do that? How did Jesus accomplish this impossible feat? The scriptures tell us that Jesus bound the strong man by doing something that no one anywhere ever expected. He allowed himself to be bound by the strong man. And then he spoiled the strong man's house by allowing himself to be spoiled. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah foretold. He was despised and rejected by men. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. And the evangelists pick up on this in the Gospels when they say he was bound and blindfolded. He was beaten and battered and bruised. He was condemned and he was crucified. How was Jesus able to enter the strong man's house and bind him and plunder his goods? How did Jesus do what no one else was able to do? Jesus came into the world to give his life a ransom for many, a ransom for sinners. And the gospel tells us that only Jesus was willing and able to pay the ultimate price for our deliverance. Only Jesus was willing and able to do whatever it took to take down the strong man. Only Jesus was willing and able to go all the way to hell and back again to defeat the strong man and to crush the serpent's head. Where did he do this? When did he do this? He accomplished this at the cross. At the cross, Jesus descended into the miseries of sin and death and into the darkness of the lowest realms of the earth. At the cross, Jesus showed everyone in heaven and on earth and under the earth that the weakness of God is stronger than the serpent's strength. This is the good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the true and better David who slew the giant with sticks and stones at the cross by the power of the Holy Spirit, that he is the true and better Moses who broke the... Who broke, the, who broke down the door and set free the people at the cross in the power of the Holy Spirit, that he is the true and better Samson who stretched out his arms and smashed the house of his enemy at the cross by the power of the Holy Spirit, that he is the true and better Daniel, the son of man who entered the strong man's house of suffering and shame and disarmed him and exposed him to public humiliation. Jesus is the true and better strong man who struck down the strong man by becoming weak to rescue the weak, by becoming a captive to set captives free. And as St. Paul says, although he was crucified in weakness, he lives by the power of God. And what is God's response to the person and work of Christ, this true and better strong man? The Lord God says, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the plunder with the strong. Brothers and sisters and friends, Oleski Novikov may hold the title for the world's strongest man in the first world, but the Lord Jesus Christ holds the title for the strongest man to ever live 
in the history of the world. As we come to the Lord's table today to eat and drink with Christ and his church, let us come by faith, rejoicing in the good news that the strongest man to ever live became the weakest man to ever die, so that we who are weak might become strong, and we who are dead might live. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or imagine, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray.